we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the longest recorded sermon that Jesus had ever preached. It was a sermon that he began his ministry with. He began preaching his ministry. Uh, it, was, it was Jesus teaching to the disciples, the believers, the people that gathered there, how to live the Christian life, how to live out Christian values, how to live out the Christian life. And, <coughs> excuse me. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> wow. So all of a sudden, we get to this point to where he begins talking about the issue of sex. And he talks, starts talking about purity and all the things that go on with that. And uh, so here, here's what he says. And then we'll just, we'll get into this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. You can also turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I've told you the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And so we're going to use some of the teachings of Paul in 1 Thessalonians to help us understand. Because before we really can understand what Jesus was talking about in this passage, we're going to take a few weeks and, and understand this passage. But before we can really understand what Jesus was talking about, we have to have an understanding of sex and, 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 and its importance and it, it, it's where it's supposed to be and its proper use and all of that other stuff. So first Thess or, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, this is what Jesus said. He said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And remember, I told you the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to make the law much deeper than what it is, to take it to a heart issue. Instead of just rules and regulations, Jesus not only fulfilled the law, but he, it, it was more. It was carry it deeper. It was, it, was, it was a heart issue. It was a personal issue. And so they were good about trying to keep the rules and regulations and made it all about rules and regulations and consequences. And so Jesus takes their law, the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. And then he says, let's carry it a little bit further. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he gives a description. It says, do whatever you can to stop it. And so we'll talk about that. If your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, you know what I wish? I wish someone else was preaching this this morning. <laughs> I really do. Uh, because, I mean, when you look at this, Jesus talks about lust, he talks about adultery, he talks about hell, and then he moves from there and then right into divorce, and we're going to talk about that so everyone has a biblical understanding about that and maybe can relieve some guilt because the church has said some things that may or might, it may be tradition and it may, be not, it may not be what Scripture calls for. And so when you look at this issue of sex, you go, wow. I says, here's the problem. The problem is this. The only people talking about sex is the world. The church has come to the point that they just remain silent on it. I mean, when you really look at this issue of sex, that I had so many people come up to me after this sermon and say, you know what, we've never heard a pastor say the things you said today or talk about the subject. It's just been always just glossed over or whatever. And so what has happened is the church has remained silent on this very important issue. So, so here's what the church does, and it's very humanistic. They just say, don't. Right? Just, just say no. Just don't. And so because, listen, when it's all about rules, do not commit it. When it's all about rules, if you carry it out, then it's all about consequences. In other words, if you carry it out to the fullest, if you can avoid the consequences, then maybe it's okay. Because the church will say, or, or people will say, do not have sex before marriage because you might get pregnant. Do not have sex before marriage because you might get a disease. Do not have sex before marriage because someone might find out. Do not have sex. And so it's all this do not, do not. And if you... 
if you carry it out, then all of a sudden it's just about avoiding circumstances. So then that's why birth control or condoms are the answer. And all of a sudden Jesus comes up way deeper. And he says, you know what? It's not about the consequences. It doesn't matter about the consequences. It comes way deeper than that. It's about pleasing God. You, and don't forget this. God created sex. It's kind of creepy to talk about in church, right? I mean, really. And some of you that have depended on your spiritual background, this may be really a stretch for you in church. But God, cre God created sex. It wasn't something that just happened and God says, Oh, no, I didn't know that was going to take place. It's kind of weird. I, I didn't know anything about that. God created sex. And, and I know it's weird, but guess what? God has a desire for sex, and God has a will for sex. Sex starts, just look at Scripture. Sex starts with a desire, starts with a desire to please God. Now, I have been very, very aware this last week of, of this message and the issues that it could bring up. And man, I know there's some of you in this room that you have been win wounded sexually. Whether someone used you, whether someone took advantage of you. And when you hear the word sex, and when you hear we're going to talk about sex, you just kind of push back. And maybe some of you in this room have been raped. You've been molested, been sexually molested, the victim of incest. Someone has had an affair on you, someone has hurt you, someone has wounded you. And let me just tell you to that group, it was not your fault. It was not your fault. There's another group in this room and you feel like you failed in that area. And there's shame or there's guilt or there's a little bit of embarrassment when we talk about this subject. And then there's some of you that have been faithful for life and so I know I'm talking about a wide range of people. But boy, I just want you to understand my heart. And I want you to understand from a biblical standpoint, and I'm going to talk in a real way this morning about the issue of sex, how God designed it, the context in which God designed it. And I just want you to know, regardless of your past, your past can be forgiven. Your past can be washed clean, regardless of what you've done. And your future can have great possibilities. Regardless, here's what Paul said about that issue of sex. He said, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. So now all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul is talking about how to live a life in order to please God. And then he brags on him and he says this. In fact, you're already living. I mean, in other words, guys, great news. You're already living to please God. But he goes on. 
Now I ask you, urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. In other words, to continue living a life that pleases God. Live a life that pleases God in a deep way, in a personal way. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will. There's so many people that run around and say, I just can't figure out God's will. God's will is mysterious. I don't understand God's will. Here's God's will in black and white. If you want to know what God's will is, here's God's will. It's not as hard and it's not as difficult as it would make it out to be. He says, this is God's will for your life. That you should be sanctified. Sanctified is a doctrine of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. To where it's God's will in your life that you live a life to please Him more and more. That's what He explained earlier. That you live a life in such a way that you please Him more and more. You become more like Christ. You become more Christ-like. You become more mature in Him. You become closer to Him. So that's His will for, his, for your life. And He goes on and says, And that you should what? Avoid sexual immorality. Now, he uses the same Greek word as, as, Apostle, as, as Jesus does, porneia. Porneia is a Greek word for sexual immorality. Porneia is a Greek word for adultery that, that we see in, the other, in what Jesus said. Porneia is where we get our English word pornography. And so it's a broad definition from, from heterosexual sex outside of marriage, homosexual sex, all kinds of sex that is outside of marriage. There are some that say, well, you know what? Jesus never really defined that whole deal, and Jesus did. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus says marriage is between a man and a woman. Whenever you go down that slippery slope, it never ends up any place well. Do you realize right now we're trying to redefine, you know, and I know you know that, we're trying to redefine marriage between, to where it's no longer just between a man and a woman? Five states have made it legal. Do you know now we got another group coming up called triads? You know what triads are? Triads are a group of people that are now trying to get marriage defined to where it's between one man and two women or one woman and two men. And so when you go down that slippery slope, it never ends up well. Jesus defined, Jesus defined marriage. And he defined marriage as between a man and a woman. And so when he uses that term porneia, it's, 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 it's very, very broad in its definition. Then he goes on and says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. In other words, this thing that set the Christian apart is their sexual life, the, the understanding of that. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, and we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instructions does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And so Paul begins to tell them this issue of sex in a deeper way and says, you know what? Sex starts. Man, sex starts with a desire. Desire to please God. In other words, sex and marriage pleases God. Fact is, we're called, commanded, if you will, to have an active sex life within marriage. And it's God's desire for husbands and wives within marriage to have an active sex life. I mean, it's, it's a lifetime commitment. It's not trying to figure out how far is too far. It's not trying to worry about who, who knows or who's going to get caught or if, you're going to, or if there's going to be any consequences. And we have such a misunderstanding of sex that there are some people, there are some married couples 
the believe it's dirty and wrong, and so they abstain. Most married couples do not understand the significance that sex plays within the marriage. In fact, is sex can be a barometer of how your marriage really is. You cannot be physically intimate with someone that emotionally you're not intimate with. Sex in marriage can be a barometer of how your marriage really is. And you got to understand, God not only has a desire for sex, he, he, he gives you a desire for sex, but God has a will for sex. And we need to come to the point where we just fall in love with Jesus and we understand, we understand to the deepest level this issue of sex and the role that it plays in relationships. Because listen, if you want God to honor your relationship, you've got to honor Him in this area. If you want to bless, if, if you want Him to bless your relationship when you're dating in your dating life, then it comes in walking in purity. And for the believer, this should set the believer apart from the world. I never will forget, Roger Stahlbeck played for the Dallas Cowboys. He was like a hero of mine, and, and I read everything that he wrote and interviews and you know, cut out pictures and all that stuff. At the same time he was playing, another person played Joe Namath, Broadway Joe. Broadway Joe was kind of the playboy. He was the opposite of Roger Stahlbeck. Everybody knew that Roger Stahlbeck was a Christian. He was committed to his wife. He was committed to his family. They made fun of him in the broadcast booth about being, you know, too good and all this other stuff. And Broadway Joe was, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, the playboy and women and drinking and all this other stuff. In an interview one time with Phyllis George, Phyllis George looked at Roger Stahlbeck and says, well, what do you think about Joe Namath and his reputation about, about his sex life and everything else? And Roger just died laughing and says, you know what? I have as much sex as Joe Namath, just with the same woman. That's a healthy view of sex. That's a healthy view and a healthy understanding. Watch this. Uh, Paul goes on, he says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each one of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. In other words, he said, this is God's will for your life. God has a will. God has a desire for sex. And when you look at this, God's will for sex is purity. Listen, true purity brings lasting passion. True purity brings lasting passion. Now, the world tells you something different. The world tells you, you want passion? It's immorality. We know immorality doesn't bring lasting passion. Scripture says, true purity brings lasting passion. Listen, I'm a, I debated, I didn't tell the early service this, I debated even about telling you guys this, but after the late, after the Saturday night sermon, uh, talk about this issue that true purity brings passion. I had one man after another in their 70s and 80s walk up to me and give me a testimony of their sex life <laughs> with their wives. It kind of creeped me out and it kind of grossed me out. And I'm like, you know what? This is way too much information for me. I mean, it's like I'm talking to my granddad. And I'm like, oh, wow. 
You know, there's something about when you get that age, you don't care what you say. <laughs> and some of them last night didn't. And then I thought, oh, wow. What a wonder wonderful testimony about true purity. Man, true purity brings lasting passion. See, immorality and sex does not bring lasting passion. It's just one broken relationship after another. Just, it, it's just it's one broken relationship right after another. True purity in relationships, man brings lasting passion and it's holy and it's pure. There's a lot of people that look back at biblical times and say, man, it had to be easy for them because, I mean, it was written when the Bible was. And we look at our culture as being more sexual than, than any other culture. And you know what? We're really tame compared to the culture when Scripture was written. In their time, it was legal. It was okay for a married man to have concubines, to have women for the, just, for the, just for the duty of sex. Fact is, the wealthy people in biblical times, they would have, a, 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 they'd have two quarters in their house. One would be a quarter where the, where the family would live. The husband would leave, live with the wife and the kids and everything else. They'd have another quarter, and in the other quarter were, were slaves, and they were just there for the sex and for sex of the husband. And many times the husband would go out back and spend the night and, and be with the women. Uh, in pagan worship at this time included sex. They had temple prostitutes in, in the pagan religions, in the churches. And so an act of worship was a sexual act. So these guys would go to church. They'd pay a temple prostitute. They'd have sex with them. It was their act of worship. Now they're reaching these people. These people are coming to the Lord. Can you imagine when they came to the church and they says, God's will for sex is purity. One man wrote this about the Roman Empire. Divorce was always done on a whim. Uh, on a whim. Women were married, were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. In the Greek culture, they write this. We have prostitutes for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the daily sex. And we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately. Do you want to be a part of that culture? To where sex is just reduced to, to an act. There's no commitment. There's no true intimacy. And it was in that culture that the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ leaned in. And said, so, man, God gave you that desire for sex and, and you're not to pervert it. And God has a will and God has a desire for sex. And so, man, what, what the Word says, it contradicts our culture as well. I mean, sex sells, right? I mean, it's, it's nutty. Sometimes you watch the, you're watching commercials and you're trying to figure out what they're selling. They use sex to sell sandwiches. They use sex to sell power tools. They use sex to sell rent-a-cars. I mean, I mean, when you look at this issue, I mean, weed eaters, whatever they're selling. I mean, usually barbecue pits, it doesn't matter. Because they understand the issues and they understand, they understand that sex is powerful and they understand the sexual desire and, and sex sells. And in our culture, listen, it is an excess and access. There is easy excess to sex and there is tremendous excess to it. I mean, when you, when you really look at it, just a click of the mouse 
And you can be to any pornographic website. And then there's tremendous excess. Did you know internet pornography is wiping us out? It's killing us. Do you realize it's a $12 billion a year industry? Internet pornography brings in more money annually than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. 40 to 60% of every click on the internet is to a pornographic website intentionally. If you just take and strip that down to the middle, say 50%, half of all the clicks on the internet are to a pornographic website. And listen, let me just tell you, many Christians struggle with this issue. Many Christians struggle with this issue of pornography and internet porn because it's, man, it's so easy access. And I just want to be loud and clear with you if, if this is you. It is killing you. It's not pleasing you. It's not fulfilling you. It is not only killing you, but it's devaluing your spouse. How can a woman ever compete with an internet screen that's always ready, it's always available, regardless of how you treat them, with the lighting and airbrushing and everything else that goes and the unrealistic expectations? Your reference, men, your reference for beauty is your wife. Your wife is a 10. Because, see, the problem is, is internet porn devalues women. Do you know people, counselors that deal in this area will tell you the last stages of addiction to internet porn in a man's life can get to the point that he no longer desires sex with his woman and with his wife? And it's not pleasing you. And man, it's killing you and it's everywhere. And in Christ, your past is pure and your past can be forgiven. And your future, man, your future has great possibilities. And, and I don't judge you and there's no guilt and there's no condemnation. And I just want to help you. I've heard the stories, too, too many stories, so personal, how this issue has ripped marriages apart and families apart because it, it won't stay in secret long. It may start out in secret, but it will come to light. And it will manifest itself in a way that is hurtful, painful, and destructive to families. Do what you have to do to get pure. If you have to rip a computer out of your house, rip it out of your house. If you have to place your computer in your family room in a public place so people can walk by and see what you're clicking and where you're going, do that. If you have to get filter software, 
Get filter software. If you have to get the software that once a week it will send an email to your wife, a friend, your husband, whoever, and show them all the, all the websites that you visited that week so you have accountability, man, do that. Get accountability. Never erase your internet history. My wife can look at my internet history anytime she wants. She has passwords to all my email accounts. She knows of all of my email accounts. She's aware of them. She has passwords. She can check my email at any point that she wants to. She can look at the history. I never delete it. Never delete the history. Because this can destroy. Several months ago, I was doing sermon research, and there's a, there's a, a, a sermon, there's a, a website that I go to for research. And it's, and I'm not going to tell you the name because I don't want anyone to click on it, but... Uh, which one, but, but it's, in, it's singular, the name is in singular. I accidentally typed it in plural, added an S to the end. And I went to a website and all these images came up and I'm like, I was shocked, I'm like, wow! And I hit the, the button to close it as soon as I could and, and kind of pushed away and... And you know what, even though that was almost a year ago, if I close my eyes, I can still recall the images. There's something about it that burns. Because that's what, that's what the Bible says. Job 31.1 says it begins with the mind and the eyes. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman lustfully. And so Jesus used the term lust, and we need to understand what that means. Lust is this. Lust is looking at a person for the, for the purpose of deliberately stimulating a desire. It's... It's not just appreciating beauty. See, see, Christians have taken this so far and says, well, it's even wrong to appreciate beauty. No, it's not. We were wired to appreciate beauty. I mean, we were wired that way. The fact is, you can go through Scripture and realize that, that the Scripture says that Sarah and Rachel were women of great beauty. Absalom, Joseph were men that were well-built and handsome. So we know that we were wired in such a way to appreciate beauty or to see beauty. But lust is different. Lust is looking at a person. For the purpose of stimulating a desire. I like how John Maxwell put it. John Maxwell put it in such a way, he says, Lust is this, any thought that if you actually carried it out, it'd be sin. Any thought that you and I have that if you actually carry that thought out, it would be full-blown sin. See, see, lust is this, lust requires sin to be fulfilled. And sexual desire is healthy. It's a desire that God has placed inside of you. Sexual desire is a blessing in marriage. And if you have a sexual desire outside of marriage, then he would say it's lust. He would say that it's, it's sin, and then it becomes difficult for God to bless the relationship. I mean, there's so many people. They want God to bless their relationships. And they're unwilling to live a life in a way that allows Him to bless their relationships. And can I tell you, this internet porn stuff is not just an issue with men. 35% of women surveyed went to a pornographic website intentionally. So it's just not an issue with men. When you look at Scripture, you realize that sex, sex is highly valued. 
Verse 4, Paul said that each one of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. In other words, it's to be lifted up, it's to be honorable, it's to be pure. It's the most important way for a man and a woman, a husband and a wife to connect in intimacy. See, impurity brings dishonor, but purity brings honor. The world says that sex is only there to gratify the flesh. Impurity says this. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. My body is for my spouse. The world says this about your body. The world says your body is to, a tool for a, attention. Generations ago, the goal was this, to be pretty for women. It's no longer that. It's to be sexy. You go tell your grandmother, your great-grandmother, she looks sexy. <laughs> That's not going to be a compliment, because out of her generation, it was to be pretty. And we've moved from that to where the, now the goal is, is just to be sexy. And in the times that we live in and, and generations coming up, the guys are wearing more and more clothes. And the women are dressing in less and less and less clothes. And you just have to look at some women sometimes and you go, man, why are they even wearing that? And they're wearing that because sex is the goal. They're wearing that because many women have chosen to receive bad attention instead of no attention at all. Because they understand the power of that. They understand what that would do for them in their life. And see, our culture doesn't value sex in a way that it should. It's selfish. It's only for me. It's only to gratify the flesh. There's nothing deeper. There's nothing more to it. And now we've come into a generation to where we have people called friends with benefits or buddy sex or whatever you want to call it. And that's where you can have sex with someone at night and then you're just friends tomorrow. And there's no commitment. There's no intimacy. There's no value. And so you take sex and you, you reduce it down to just something that you do like animals and there's no purpose and there's no intimacy and it's not even emotional but we all know that's a lie because plenty of people have carried emotional issues and woundedness because they've given their body away and someone has abused them and wasn't committed to them and hurt them and sex is the most significant act what the Bible says that a husband and wife should do together And we live in a culture to where a lot of Christian homes, a lot of Christian marriages no longer, under, no longer understand the value and the importance of an active sex life within marriage. See, sex in marriage is valued, and in sex and marriage, you don't have to worry about the consequences. You don't have to worry about who's going to find out. You don't have to worry if they're going to call you tomorrow. You don't have to worry if they're committed to you. That's why the people in their 70s and 80s were very free about telling me about their sex life. 
No testimonies after the service. <laughs> and in marriage, it's with intimacy and value and honor and safety and trust and security. Paul gave a few instructions about just how to stay pure. The first thing he gave was this. He says, you have to know God and be satisfied in Him. Verse 1, verse 5, he did that. You have to learn in order to please Him and learn to control yourself, not like those who do not know God. In other words, you, the goal is to please Him. It's not about the consequences. It's not about whether the consequences come true or not. It doesn't matter whether you skate clean or, or there's no consequences. The goal is this. The goal is to please God. And when you carry that, it to that level, it takes on a another power within your life. The second thing is this. You have to avoid sexual immorality. That word in the Greek is very, very important. Avoid. Verse 3, it says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That word avoid in the Greek, it means this. It means to change directions. It means to run. It means to get away from it. But it also carries a deeper meaning. It means to take responsibility. It means to come to the point that you take responsibility for your actions. No one ends up in bed with another man's wife and wonder, how did I get here? It's a process. It's an act. It's something that happens to where you understand and you take responsibility for your sex life. You take responsibility for living a life that is pure, whether it's in marriage or whether it's out, whether it's married or whether it's single, to where it means something and it's deeper to you than just an, just an act to where you learn to take responsibility. Listen, where are the areas of your life that you're the most tempted? Man, get rid of it. If you have to get rid of the paid movie channels on cable, get rid of it. If you have to quit watching late night TV where it kind of gets worse, get rid of it. Don't watch it. If you have to get rid of a computer, get rid of a computer. If you have to get a counselor, get a counselor. If you have to get help, get help. If you have to get an accountability partner, get an accountability partner. Take responsibility. If, if something is going on in your marriage and there's not intimacy, take responsibility for that. Get help. Because Scripture says, 1 Corinthians talks about this issue of the importance of sex and marriage. Get a counselor. Deal with your emotional issues. Deal with the unresolved issues. Get forgiveness. Whatever you have to do. The Apostle Paul, because Apostle Paul says this, where you learn to control your body is within marriage. It's within having an active sex life. And then he goes on deeper and he says, the last one is this, and learn to control yourself. He says that's in marriage where you learn to control yourself to where you're able to have an active sex life. Verse 4, that each one of you should learn to control his own body so it's a learned behavior in a way that is honorable, holy and honorable. Listen, understand this about men and women. Women, you first have an emotional bridge you have to cover or cross before the physical bridge. Men, you first have a physical bridge that you have to cover before the emotional bridge. Understand that. It's so important. Women, that's why it's dangerous to open yourself up to men who are not your husband emotionally. To where you talk to them and you tell them things that you should only tell your husband or a girlfriend. 
where you open up and you talk to another man and tell him about maybe things you don't like about your husband or problems that you're having in your marriage or problems that you're having in your life and you begin to confide in that man that is not your husband because you know what you do? You give him great power to cross that emotional bridge and he can walk in and say, you know what? I can't believe he treats you like that. I can't believe anyone would talk to you like that. I can't believe anyone would treat you like that. Boy, you're so special. You need to be treated like a queen. You need to be treated like a princess. Boy, if you were my wife. Boy, if you were my wife. I wouldn't treat you like that. That's why you have to be careful about opening yourself up to emotionally to another man that's not your husband because the next bridge, the next bridge, affairs just don't happen. It's a process. And men, you've got to understand, your first bridge to carry, to cover, to cross, is the physical bridge. And that's why your frame of reference for beauty is your wife. She's the most beautiful woman in the world to you. And you've got to understand these things for marriage. So husbands, if your wife's emotional bridge is the first that is crossed, you have to cross her emotional bridge. And women, if the physical bridge is the first bridge that your husband crosses, you need to learn to cross his physical bridge. Holding hands may not just be enough. I mean, Paul talks about this issue. Look at this. This is, this is, this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. And listen, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Paul says this. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. He's talking about sex. He's talking about having an active sex life in marriage, the meaning of it, the importance of it. And for a time, so that you may, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You learn self-control in marriage by an active sex life. You also protect each other by having an active sex life from temptation. Listen, we live, we live in a world where single women are becoming more and more aggressive. And married women are becoming more and more passive. And they don't understand the temptations and the things that are out there. Paul's encouragement to you, Jesus' encouragement to you, God's encouragement to you, that if you're married, have an active sex life. Whatever that means to you, wherever you're at, singles, what is it that you're really looking for? You know, what, are, what is it that you're really looking for in life? I mean, are you looking for value? Are you looking for excitement? Are you looking for importance? Are you looking for attention? I mean, what is it? Because the, the dangerous thing for singles is this men will use love to get sex. Women will use sex to get love. And it's relationship after relationship. It's brokenness after brokenness. Listen, 
The consequences are true. But the reason that we honor God with our sex life is to please Him. And because it pleases Him, He is able to bless us in those relationships. So what desire are you trying to fill? And Paul would say, just come to the point to where you feel, fall in love with Jesus Christ. And allow Him to meet your desires. And then walk in purity. And man, I know in a group, in a church this large, there are many who have been wounded in this area. And in Christ, your past has been made pure. And your future can have great possibilities. And it grieves my heart for those who have been wounded sexually and taken advantage of and all the stuff that goes on, whether it was rape or whether it was incest, sexual abuse or anything like that. And I wish it had never happened. And I'd take it back if I could. But just one more time. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. And God has a will and God has a desire for sex. And that is in the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. And honor Him with your life. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed, I just, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes before I pray. And I know this is a heavy issue, and I know this is a, a deep issue. And I know this brings up a lot of emotions and a lot of stuff. And boy, if you're here this morning and you have been wounded by sex, whether you're abused or mistreated, let me tell you, I'm sorry. And it not only grieves my heart, but Scripture tells us it grieves the heart of God. Then would you just realize this morning it's not your fault. You didn't cause it. It was something someone else did to you. And for those of you that are single, and you're, and you're dating, I know there's a lot of sexual pressure out there. But I know this, if you will honor Him in purity with your dating life, He will bless you for waiting. And He will honor that. And for those of you that are married here, And maybe your sex life is a barometer is something else that's really going on in your marriage. And I would just pray, is there, if there's a barrier between you and your wife intimately, that you'd walk through a process. 
you to understand that God has a desire for your life that there'd be intimacy in your marriage still date still love one another still enjoy one another because there's a lot of temptation out there and then for another group of you that have fallen sexually in this area man let me just tell him tell you in Christ there's no guilt there's no shame your past can be forgiven your future can have great possibilities if you need to confess anything to him confess it get rid of it but I just want you to walk out of here knowing that you're forgiven in him